As a foreword to this podcast, Robbie Whittle near the end of this interview says, Oh, you found me under a stone. You cannot find much on Robbie Whittle after 2011 because he really went off the radar and it was absolutely brilliant to be able to find him. Very modest, yet extremely talented. Excuse the cell phone signal at times is a little bit jittery. Bear with it. It's well worth a listen. When he regularly says, I'm not the right person to ask, there you will see he really is the right person to ask. Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots. To learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. And here we start. Uh, we've already been laughing. Robbie Whittle on the other side of the world from me. We're about at the same kind of latitude. Well, I'm at 34 degrees south in Cape Town, and he is 10 hours, 10 time zones away from me in New Zealand. He's just come back from dinner. Here it's midday. It's 10 p.m. there. And his Skype says that he is somewhere in Malawi. And when I asked him, what's that all about? He says, you've got to keep people guessing. So <laughs> when I asked Robbie a few minutes ago, what his accolades are, he says, accolades? What do you mean big accolades? All of us are normal. All of us, because we've won a world hang gliding or paragliding championships, because we've won uh, 50 things in um, paragliding or in hang gliding or in surfing or in kite surfing, that doesn't make us anything in the bigger scheme of things. Robbie Whittle, the great, welcome to the podcast. Absolutely awesome to have you on board. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, Steph. Uh, interesting to be here. Uh, I haven't really done many things like this. So uh, yeah, it, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm sure it'll be fun. Well, I am completely convinced. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, we've just got a bit of a time like I should explain everybody because uh, obviously from South Africa to New Zealand, even though modern technology is so good, sometimes there's a bit of a lag. So you'll have to forgive us if we talk over each other. Absolutely, Robbie. As I look at Robbie Whittle across the world, I see oh. behind him the most beautiful poster or photograph of a continuous two waves. He's gone from being world hang gliding champion in 1989 to world paragliding champion in 1991. He smashed both of them. Until 1997, he was constantly feared in the paragliding world because he was just coming out with all new things. The timeline might not be completely accurate. When I say 1999 or 2000, he started ozone paragliding. Today, he still creates the kites for ozone. Tell us about today, Robbie. What's going on in New Zealand in your life right now? Uh, well, I'm happy to say that uh, everything is amazing. Uh, I feel very lucky and very blessed that I still get to do the things that I love to do, which is be involved in design and the creation of things, uh, you know, um, wings. I, I still work with speed wings as well. Um, kite surfing equipment. I have a foil business with a friend making really high-end um, hydrofoils for surfing and supping. Uh, so sup foiling and surf foiling kite foiling, whatever you want to foil, we basically make some foils for you. And uh, yeah, God, for instance, yesterday we had a couple of three-hour sessions, beautiful waves, out with my friends, no other people around, uh, scoring wave after wave, mile and a half or kilometer and a half rides, um, 
tired legs, paddling back out, you know, glorious weather, perfect atmosphere. So yeah, a couple of days of that in a row. And I'd have to say that the rest of the year is quite similar to that. Obviously, you don't quite get the sessions to be as amazing as the last two days were. But uh, yeah, I feel like uh, I'm in a good place enjoying myself. So that's what counts. And you've said it, it's about having fun. It's about enjoying ourselves in our life. And if we are not constantly reinventing ourselves and going for the next best thing, then we're doing something wrong, in my opinion. Uh, you were describing to me a little earlier how yesterday's 30 to 40 second rides on a foil sup. So for those who don't know, a stand-up yeah, pedal yes. for riding the foil, which is the, literally the mast that comes out of the water and riding things really well. Tell us about your company, uh, the foil company. Uh, the foil company is called Armstrong, and it's a friend of mine, Army Armstrong. I met this guy when I first moved to New Zealand, which was 10 years ago. And I came here to work with uh, Matt Taggart of Ozone to do the design and development here because it seemed like a good place to be. Uh, and this guy, Army, and this guy, is he's, he's a very inspirational character because there are very few people I know that uh, passionately involved in something and Ami is passionately involved in life and it, it's an amazing yeah he's an he's got an infectious character he's so enthusiastic about everything whether it's kiting surfing supping uh, his foil business he just fully gets into it and gives it 110 but this amazing ability he has sometimes isn't the best for making a living should we say so he got into the foil design and couldn't really quite get a business together so he asked me to help him of all people it's like man you're asking the wrong guy i've got no idea what i'm doing but uh some money at him and it sort of started from there and uh today we're doing okay we've had help from other friends and uh it's all come around and now i'm happy to say that armstrong is standalone and army's making a living from it he's following his passion the product is hand on heart it, even if, let's say, you don't like it or whatever, if you look at it, it's it's a design masterpiece. Beautiful. It's modular. You can interchange your wings depending on your sport. It's well-engineered. It's it's just a bit of top-of-the-line quality equipment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of proud to be involved with it because it's, uh, it's a nice little success story. Oh, bloody brilliant. Um, the foils definitely are the way to go. Just a few days ago, uh, I did a podcast with a friend of mine, Tony Pett, about renewable energies and about uh, toys of the future was the theme of the podcast. And uh, it was, of course, about electric uh, oh, skateboards, right. electric, the, the lift company, which mm. obviously uh, were the first ones to stick their thumbs up and go, hey, wow, we've made that. Um, any ideas of you guys to put some uh, kind of automation along with your foils or do you want to keep it purist and... No, no, we do have ideas to go automated with some sort of power units as well. Uh, the thing is, we have to always go step by step. And it's a new company after the current scenario obviously isn't the best thing for any business or any people, really. Yeah, it, it's a small hiccup, but a small company can deal with these things because we're very flexible. The bigger they get, the harder they are to deal with the because of the lack of flexibility and the interreliance and dependence on so many other things. So we'll get through this. Yeah, sort of uh, carry on. Sorry, I've forgotten what the question was. I do that sometimes. No problem, no problem. It was about automation and about the foils, but the foils really oh, are great. I mean, I, yes. uh, I've had a few little tries on the foil along with the wing in Cape Town on flat water. Actually, I was really surprised by how easily the wing is to fly. Um, you know, keep the front hand, uh, the arm straight and the back end is pretty much pulling in and out. It's really kind of uh, kid's play, I found. Within the shortest time, I was actually cruising along on one huge big uh, 
uh, a very buoyant board and slowly coming out of the water. Yeah. And then the next exercise was, of course, being towed behind uh, a boat, uh, a slightly smaller um, board. Uh, would you describe us um, how one gets into foiling, how difficult it is, your challenges? Well, we're very lucky if you come from a flying background or a surfing background, that automatically makes things a bit easier, purely because you understand the theory of lift. All you're basically doing is changing the angle of attack under the water of the wing. You increase the angle of attack, the wing rises, you decrease it, it goes down. The, the difficulty is the, the movement required to change that angle of attack that in the beginning, uh, you don't have the fine motor skills to actually be able to make necessarily the, the small adjustments that are required. So you tend to be a bit ham-handed and you stand too much on the back foot and the, the foil's out of the water. Even for a, a talented athlete, or a ta not a talented athlete, but uh, you know a talented weekend sportsman, which is kind of what most of us are really, you know, we get out there most weekends and do it. You're going to have to take a little bit of rough with the smooth. You're going to take a beating bits and pieces here and there. But after four days of sticking at it, four good sessions of sticking at it, you're going to start to feel it. The problem is, is that given the modern world, we everybody wants everything. You know, if you've learned to kite surf and then you start foiling again, you forget how long it, it took you to learn to kite surf. You know, it was a week of learning and you get on a foil and you crash for a half an hour and you go, ah, oh, that's rubbish, I'm not doing that. Well, unfortunately, you know, if you want to play, you've got to pay. So you've got to pay with some beatings and some stress and some underachievement compared to the goal that you are compared to your um, perceived skill levels, <laughs> your dream skill levels compared to your real skill levels, which, believe me, I have the same problem, <laughs> where, yeah, you just got to go and repeatedly do some crashing and get back on the horse until you can do it so four days of that and you can probably foil to a to a standard to to then progress into doing whatever you want i tell you it sounds so good to me kiting in cape town is one thing and big jumps and riding the waves and stuff and we see very very few guys actually getting out there on foils obviously we have choppy water and it's not so ideal but when you see somebody riding a board on a foil and actually doing a downwinder not using anything more than the smallest wing foil and the foil subboard and going on a huge downwind air. And literally that uh, wing is is just fluttering in the sky. And it's he's just using the swell to ride. Makes me half really, really jealous. Yeah. And just to go back on what you said a few minutes ago there, Robbie, I mean, nothing comes from nothing. You haven't gotten accepted in the seniors class on the uh, Isle of Man TT from just sitting around. Russ Ogden told me the long story of you having to join the, <laughs> to claw your way up the New Zealand national riding team. So motorcycle riding, for those who don't know, is, uh, well, I wouldn't say a new passion. I'm sure you've been riding bikes your whole life. Tell us about your career with bikes and tell us what's up with that. Oh, okay. Well, it's um, a long love affair, really. uh, although I wasn't allowed to fall in love for a long time because my father uh, didn't really want me on motorbikes because I was into BMXs. I was kind of pushing it on BMXs. We were doing some fairly crazy stuff for kids our age back then. Dad wanted to keep me off motorcycles, although he was fully into motorcycles, grew up with motorcycles in the garage, going to motorcycle meets. And then as soon as I want one, he's like, no, uh, it's a bit too dangerous. I think uh, you'd be better with a hang glider. So he got me a hang glider. So then I had a passion with hang gliding and skiing and snowboarding and everything else. And there was always a motorcycle around in my life. But um, here and there, I'd crash one because you have to, especially if you're me. I, I, I tend to find my limits by crashing things. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> there, there was the odd crash on the roads with, with the bikes and you know the usual the usual sort of silliness where uh, you're young impetuous think you can go fast when you have absolutely no idea of the skills really involved but you give it a load anyway you know sooner or later you're going to come unstuck and uh, I think in a way I followed MotoGP pretty obsessively for the, about the past 20 years I just really enjoy the fact that on a motorcycle there's no roll cage there's there's nothing separating you and pretty much imminent breakage or at least some pain when you fall off uh, yeah I've admired that skill and that, that bravado that they have you know these guys racing around circuits they are absolutely on the limit from every single lap it's very uh, it's very intense and there's a massive price to pay you know when you you're going to be in hospital for the next six weeks if you're lucky it could be even worse so yeah I, I'd always wanted to do it I went to a track day with my road bike and just had such an amazing time holy shit why didn't I do this 30 years ago kind of thing or 20 years ago um, and then from there I just decided straight away sell the road bike get it track bike and went to the track and just did track days and started learning and then okay I need to go racing and I started racing and had a lot of fun racing and as soon as I sort of got into that I just recognized that the only way I could measure up to the best in the world is to go to the other man because there's no way I'm going to end up in MotoGP when you start at 45 <laughs> you're going nowhere so um, uh, yeah I set my sights on the Isle of Man it's some road races in New Zealand on the actual street circuits. Uh, they closed the roads in a couple of places, and I just loved it. it, it that extra danger of buildings and things, it, it brings your focus into the very, very moment. Uh, and I kind of like it when you're lost in the true essence of what you're doing. There's, you know, you're not worried about what you're having for dinner or what time and this, that, the other. You are only riding that motorcycle because your life depends on it, <laughs> you know. And then, yeah, that just sort of uh, led me to the Isle of Man because I wanted to do it. Uh, went to do the Manx Grand Prix first, which is sort of the, the B-grade Isle of Man. It's around the same course, but um, it's not with such high-profile riders. And I did that, enjoyed myself just so much. You know, just took my uh, whole expectations and abilities to, some, to another level because... I, I'd never experienced anything like it. Uh, and I, I have to say the first couple of laps were just frightening because nobody, apart from Irish road racers and the odd Czech road racers, have ever ridden a motorcycle as hard as you need to ride one around that circuit, even to be slow. You know, it, someone who's slow there is still incredibly fast because on a circuit, for instance, you might just get into sixth gear and you might get halfway into sixth gear and then you back down through the gearbox, stopping or slowing down for another corner. At the Isle of Man, you get it into sixth gear, but you've come into sixth gear after being flat out in fifth gear, absolutely flat. Then you hit sixth. You take sixth absolutely all the way to the top and you hold it there, you know, through the countryside. Uh, for sure, you're rolling off a bit and back on them, but you're basically at speeds of in excess of 260 kilometers an hour for very large periods of time you know and winding a bike out and listening to it hum below you you know it's literally singing at you it you know it it even brings into your mind 
how the technical genius of the machinery below you is, you know, it's it's revving at 16,000 RPM. It's on the red line. You're just absolutely hanging onto this thing, shooting through the countryside. It, you know, it's testimony to uh, man's engineering. It's just, it's phenomenal. And that combined with the adrenaline buzz, definitely, um, yeah, it filled the quota for the rest of my life. I, I, I know not... <coughs> I no longer need to search for the ultimate buzz because I found it because that eclipsed anything else I've ever done. I could definitely, definitely agree that I don't think that there's anything, uh, you know, people would say mad, insane, all this kind of crap. It's not. Uh, you are highly, highly focused when you're doing that. You spoke of thinking about what's for dinner. If you think what's for dinner while you are riding around the Isle of Man, you're fucking gone, man. You're just nothing less than toast. That's you. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't speak from knowing this. Uh, you know, I love riding a motorcycle uh, on the racetrack. Um, Jockey Sanderson and I, when I interviewed him in his podcast, he was talking about track days and he's now has a Triumph Daytona and he loves it. He said he went on such a knee-down course, as he calls it. And he said the next thing he was a little boy again, fully into it, Robbie. I really, really have to like, see it. But now you've taken it to the next level. As you and I both agreed earlier as we were doing the chat before this podcast, we were chatting about we are none of us are cut from the same cloth. None of us. Every single one of us is different in one way or another. You and I could seem extremely similar and we think we could hang out for a few days together and then we will find differences in each other. And thankfully so. Otherwise, we'd all be fucking androids on this planet. We'd be absolutely... <laughs> so I've got would. so... Yeah, oh, sorry, I was just going to say that I think one of the uh, sorry states of modern times is that we don't actually recognize individuality to be something that's nurtured. And instead, we go for the herd effect where we strip people of their individuality. And that stripping happens at birth by the fact that we come into society that is the society that we live in. And everything is already pre-organized for us and our parents of course because they've come up through the same system nurture us the same way and everybody gets nurtured the same way and everybody gets herded into this standard box but why would you actually want to do that because when you you know when you start to get a bit older and you recognize that the individual talents of society are actually the benefits of society and instead of blocking them out and trying to get everybody to do the same thing. If you nurtured those talents, we'd be in a much better place because we put people in jobs and lives that don't really suit them because of the indoctrination that happens during, you know, the growing up years. And it, I just find it kind of sad that, uh, you know, so some people see me as being this crazy individual that just does what he wants. But yes, why wouldn't you do that? Because at the end of the day, I, I kind of have to have some sort of satisfaction and happiness. And it is not going to come living by somebody else's rules. It's going to come by living by my own rules. And for sure, you know, I'm not saying we have to break the law and do these things. But, you know, you do have to you do have to push yourself and do a little bit of self-discovery and a bit of discomfort to, and a lot of happiness and joy as well, you know, love and everything else. But you do have to go through all these things, make it all happen and be the best individual. And uh, by best, it means just the best you want to be or can be. You don't have to be some uh, guru or uh, Dalai Lama type, but just be the best you, you can be and uh, give yourself the, the maximum potential. Yeah, so it's so true. You know, you're every one of us is 
in control of our destiny, as, as cliched as that might sound. And a lot of people, Robbie, will not be looking at you with anything less than disdain. And they look at you with disdain because deep down inside, they are jealous. Okay, they, they, know, they know nothing as adventurous as the life that you are living. And they look at you and they think, wow, I wish I'd have the half the balls, a quarter of the balls to be able to even ride a motorcycle. How many people do you and I meet that's, that we speak of riding a motorcycle? And a few minutes ago, I was telling you how Cape Town has become a huge parking lot. The traffic is unbearable. You have to ride a motorcycle in survival mode. And we were talking about looking in people's rearview mirrors before they look at you and, you know, negotiating through the traffic. We got quickly onto the, onto the topic of death you know, of, 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 uh, of pushing ourselves in the element. Please go back to that theme. Oh, uh, gosh, yeah. It, unfortunately, you're talking to the wrong guy when, you, when it comes to... It, there's certainly no desire for death to come quickly. And again, it's horses for courses. I understand that some people are not built the same way, but what we should do is enjoy and just nurture people that are. People want to stop the Isle of Man because, uh, you know, it's dangerous and three people die there every year. Well, honestly, it's a nice idea, but there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. These people that go to the Isle of Man, I'm fully aware of the consequences. Everybody is. It's just stuff that happens. There are more people killed walking on crossing the road every day, but we don't try and stop people crossing the road. So effectively, what you have to do is just live your life to the maximum you can. We can always worry about death, but why would you? You know, the best thing you can do is just basically give it all you got for as long as you got. And um, if you're lucky, you last a long time. And if you're unlucky, you last a short time. But even if you're unlucky, that, that, that lack of luck could happen with something like cancer or whatever. And you never know when it's coming. It could be coming for me around the corner. Who knows? So in which case, you know, you, you may as well just go out there and um, pretty much balls to the wall to the, you know, <laughs> all the time because you just, you don't know. Your own mortality is something that we're not really in total control control of and if you limit your life because you're worried about it then well the chances are you're just you're limiting it for no reason if somebody else's fear is probably not even your own because you a lot of the things you don't try because somebody's already told you oh that's dangerous well it's dangerous for you but that's the that's what makes me live yeah definitely on the note of the isle of man tt i mean to stop that every single guy who's going out and purchasing a motorcycle today has got to be aware he, his daddy, like yours, has told him, a motorcycle's dangerous. We know that for crying out loud. Do you think you're registering on a paragliding course when you are 40 years old and you think, oh, great, I've made a bit of money, I can go and afford to paraglide for two, three minutes. Do you think you're registering on a paragliding course knowing that that's ultra safe? Don't be silly. Anything can happen. And as you say, walking across the road, um, being eaten by a shark in Mauritius, uh, whatever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these things happen. These things happen. But uh, uh, as I said earlier, I think that the main game is the old to try and burn out rather than fade away. Because, um, you know, we, we all know that old age degenerative diseases are not a lot of fun. Keep the brain agile by taxing it regularly. Keep the body agile by taxing it reg regularly. Uh, try and stay off those uh, old age degenerative diseases. Because, like I say, we know that you know, there's no enjoyment for anybody involved in them. And uh, keep pushing it until finally conks it out. Jobs are good. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Now, let's change the conversation a little bit to where you lived. You told me that you've moved to a very cool little surf town on the west coast of New Zealand called Raglan, which is two hours from Auckland. And it's uh, somewhere where it's a pretty progressive 
Tell us about your place. Ah, yeah, no, it's a lovely little surf town. Of course, um, uh, New Zealand predominantly north-south orientation. Long two islands, quite long, not not so wide. Uh, the west coast receives all the weather. The east coast is sort of the the sunny side, the slight more holiday side. But the West Coast is um, a bit more rough and ready. And Raglan, fortunately, has some of the best waves in New Zealand. In fact, it is a world-class left-hander. On the good on the good days, it's just a cranking long, long wave. It's uh, and all the points connect up. It's huge. Um, and at the same time, the town is one of the sort of most progressive little towns in New Zealand. And they're they're running pilot schemes with with uh, recycling to understand, you know, how best to, uh, well, pilot schemes. It's now a fully fledged scheme here and that is being adopted by other towns and uh, small cities across New Zealand because this place is doing the trailblazing. It's, it's, uh, It's a nice little town to be in. It's got a good vibe. So it was Russ Ogden who told me about your accident at the TT. Apparently, a guy who was a little slower than you was uh, over a rise and had a mechanical problem, and that resulted in you kind of losing it and crashing. Please uh, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, well, it, yes, that's exactly how it happened, really. A uh, guy in front of me had a bit of a, you're going flat out, so you're, you're not ready for someone to, you know, when you're full power, sort of in uh, fourth and fifth gear, and then the guy in front of you, it's just like he rolls off the throttle and you're driving. Uh, so he just came at me. I tried to just clipped his back wheel, but that's just like a, bill, a billiard ball and sent off the circuit. And yeah, uh, the rest, we shall say, I, I actually overtook the guy while I was in the air. I went past going, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I crashed within about 500 meters of the rescue helicopter because this was on the top of the mountain. Paramedic was running before I'd even come to a, a standstill, which was handy because I landed on my head and yeah, landed on my head, broke my back, smashed my foot. Yeah, as I was telling you, this all brings us back to that nowadays I've actually got into stretching. And uh, even though there's no adrenaline, there's a lot of satisfaction to be found. And uh, again, it's that old thing of uh, I'm learning and I'm improving. And when I first started, I was so bad. You can't actually continue a life like I was living without putting some form of real maintenance in there. And for sure, I'm fit and I can run and I can do all these sports. But uh, I've since discovered how important flexibility is. And the flexibility now is part of my daily routine. And even though there's no adrenaline, there's, it's just time. Well, in fact, there's meditation. And uh, because there's meditation where you're in the moment, uh, I find a link there to, to be able to enjoy it. And so I've, I've gone from being completely hopeless to, oh, <laughs> I've got the completely out of the scenario. Now I'm just, now I'm just hopeless. <laughs> no, there's nothing hopeless about you, Robbie. Absolutely nothing hopeless. You are an, in, you are an inspiration to so many people, friend. You won't even believe it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I won't believe it. <laughs> How long have you been meditating? Uh, did you start that at the same time as the stretching? Uh, yes, I kind of did, really. It all it all came together because uh, I find the discomfort of the stretch quite the the way to get into the stretch is to is to work on the meditation. Once you can separate yourself from your body in terms of not recognizing that discomfort, but uh, concentrating more on your breath and just letting this happen 
slowly you get to a point where you're not really thinking about anything. You've got everything relaxed. You've managed to turn off that those six voices in your head because I don't have two, I've got six. And uh, finally there's some quiet and then you just remember again, oh my goodness, I'm in this stretch and it's been good. It's lasted a long time. You, you come out of the stretch, of course, and all that negative energy is released. And after I've done a, a 30, 40 minute session, which is not, not long by yoga sessions of an hour and a half and stuff, but after 40 minutes of nice, dedicated stretching and meditation on the stretches, I come out of that. And I can definitely say that I receive a natural high that is worth going for. You know, it's a, for a freebie, it's pretty good. <laughs> Nothing you have to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, holy shit. I've started doing some breathing exercises as well. And that's another one. You can cup a free bars that's pretty damn good so for about the last month now i've been working on that as well and uh, between the two it, it's another nice balance the breathing exercises i think are quite important because it gives you a chance to really oxygenate your body and just purely on a, a restorative factor and also for these muscles that i've been stretching and so on and so forth it's good to get oxygen in there because the oxygen gives your chance of the body to actually you know to expel the bad stuff and refresh and regenerate the muscles and the, the tendons and sinews in there so yeah it's you know slowly slowly we learn these things and yeah it's still enjoyable though even though it's very sort of quiet and passive and there's no big there's no big rush it's it's still very satisfying yeah i think there has to be a balance between the mad rush the craziness as i watch you drinking your ginger tea i thought it was a coffee that you were having at 11 30 at night right now but i see that uh, that's great as i look uh, past your head i see a small buddha sitting on what appears to be a microwave oven when i read on Ovin's website a little earlier uh, had to observe that the question was how would you change the world and one of your answers is abandon politics and religion um, and enjoy some home cooking. Where do you see the big problems in the world, uh, Robbie? Oh, God. Uh, uh, I, I'm not really the right person to ask because you probably need to have a far extended worldview and mine isn't extended anything like by far enough to be able to, to encompass all the things that are going on out there or to even be able to understand them. But I just think that uh, organized religion, similar to the schooling system, is an indoctrination and it takes away the ability for a, a normal person to be able to think logically. And if you go logically into any of these religions, then obviously you can see what they are is basically uh, crowd control. If you want to have a better world, I believe it's probably advantageous to have a realistic one, for want of a better way of putting it. But these organized religions, they're freaking fantasy. And you have to have faith. The reason you have to have faith is because there's no evidence. When do we have faith in the court of law? Well, it's on my good faith that this man committed this murder. Well, no, it's not. You have to have evidence for that. And the reason you have to have evidence is because otherwise you'd need to have a faith based scenario where we were judging people on faith. You know, it's just like, guys, come on. If it comes down to faith, then I'm sorry. It's just a bit too wishy washy. And at the same time, you know, um, it's so hypocritical. Look at the uh, the Catholic Church and the upper echelons of that and all the paedophilia that's going on in there. And it's like, just wake up, people. It's a totally unhealthy, unhealthy lifestyle as a priest. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that in such sweeping terms, but that's a Rob Whittle special there, everybody. Tar everyone with the same brush. <laughs> but no, I'm sure there are very good people within the churches and 
uh, organized religions as well who are uh, in, in a in a very altruistic, humane way. But at the same time, it, it obviously is going to breed uh, people at the other end of that scale, and it does. We know this, and still the Catholic Church has a place in our world today. After what's going on, you know, it's like you, this is nuts. It's unhealthy. It's stupid. Uh, it's phony. But you know. So, yes, uh, I think religion would be a good thing to get rid of. Uh, we can quite safely say that uh, democracy hasn't worked because here we are today and now democratic rights are falling apart. And also, if you look around you, if you understand the, the true meaning of the term democracy, this is not what we're in. Politics, again, we can see everything has to be run by something. And I'm not saying you can't have, you can't, exist without these things necessarily but we could definitely exist with a better version of them and uh you know if you go to there is a buddha behind me and uh you know the buddha exemplifies something about being the best you can be it's not really an indoctrination of how you should be and admittedly though you know the uh, the buddhist faith and uh, the tibetans managed to get all their monk all their money and gold from their peasants, you know, the, the peasant workers. And so, again, it, it's still been nurtured by some of the, the same greed that uh, the, the modernized Western religions have been nurtured with as well. So, yeah, uh, but again, please, if you are a religious person and you don't like what I'm saying, that's not a problem. I really don't mind you practicing whatever you want to practice. You have your belief. I will have mine. If you go strongly to the grave with your faith helping you, fantastic my faith is something very different my god is the sun without the sun there is no life if you're going to worship something it's better to worship something that is actually physically here and helps you every single day of your life rather than some fantasy creature person being entity i mean god can we make it more broad brush to cover just something you know that's how much that that's what they're gripping onto they they can't actually grip onto something so they just Open it up to God could mean anything. Well, okay, I'll just take it being the sun because the sun comes up, the day starts, the flowers blossom, life is allowed to to flourish on earth because of the sun. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and maybe we could all maybe we could do something with a simpler way of bringing this to the, to people so that uh, we don't delude ourselves with archaic religions that don't suit our times, uh, just like our laws don't suit our times, our politics doesn't suit our times. Let's cut all the crap and just get down to what it is. And we all know what it is. You wake up, you live, you go to sleep, you do that for a certain amount of time, and then you're dead. And it levels everybody because it doesn't matter how religious you are, you're still dead. It doesn't matter how fit you are, you're still dead. Everything leads to the same thing. So let's just get rid of the stuff that makes it all rubbish and difficult and just get down to what it really is but uh yeah so the simplified version would be something like that <laughs> to disagree with you robbie that you when you said i am not the person to be asking about religion and politics there i beg to differ because you are a person who has exactly as much right to say it as a one-day-old baby in china or donald trump for that matter so at the end of the day, uh, it sounds a little blunt when I say this, but we all shit the same color and our farts all smell equally bad. And we cannot for one moment think that we are one step 
one inch, one more so better or worse than the fellow human being. We live our lives. And because yeah. you and I paraglide and we have this thing that uh, Barney Woodhead comes out with is freedom. We have this freedom. We have this need to get out there and do the things that make us happy in our lives. And we have chosen a lifestyle. That's our prerogative. And we have taken that. But mm. life is extremely complicated when you add things like religion and politics to it and false democracies yeah. and less than 150 people making more decisions for us as a 8 billion people on this planet's population than 150 people are deciding what 8 billion people are up to in the world. And 26 billion, yeah. uh, 26 individuals own 65% of the worth of the world. I have a problem with that. Yes, uh, and you, you said it there, basically, um, the, the idea, and this is the illusion, the illusion that these people care about you is the biggest illusion ever. They don't give a flying fuck about us, really. They just want it to work so that they can reap some benefits and be the most powerful. And yes, there, there are some people in there who are trying to do it for the right reasons, of course. Please forgive me for, again, broad brushing. But the fundamentals of it are, is look around you. It doesn't freaking work. If it worked, I'd be all over following it. No problem. But I'm not going to blindly follow stuff that is just ridiculous because, because everybody else is. No, uh, that, that's mad. I, I just wouldn't do that. I don't need to do that. And I, I'm actually very happy just having my alternative view. And, yeah, you know, I, I like the idea nowadays, especially. It just makes me laugh. Sometimes, you know, I might say something or whatever and someone will go, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm sorry, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's just that the official line is so freaking wishy-washy with no facts that here this alternative could also be as real as the wishy-washy official line. Because if you think those are the facts for that scenario, then they've got you. Because they're obviously not the facts. Or if they are the facts, holy shit, there's some cloudy stuff going on. And then, you know, you've got to... Yeah, it's just simple, you know, or at least it seems simple to me that uh, you must have your own opinions on these things. And as I always like to say, some people say, oh, Rob, you're really opinionated. Yeah, I am pretty opinionated, but I'm totally open to having that opinion changed so long as your argument and your side of your story is filled with some facts for me to follow and to believe in. And then I will willingly change. But when you can't do that, yeah, my opinion's seems to suit me because I've got enough facts and figures to, for my opinion to work for me. More belief in, uh, in the system not working as, as, it, as we're led to believe it is would, uh, would actually be beneficial because seriously, it's, it's a lot of junk. They, they don't care. They're manipulating systems. They're, yeah. When you've got the likes of uh, Hillary Clinton, for instance, and you've got to remember America's the big player in everything. They are also a, a very good and bad example of how you shouldn't shouldn't do things. But when you've got Hillary Clinton blatantly lying and nothing happens, you're just kind of like, you know, so it, it really is one rule for us and one rule for them. And you want me to follow your rules. Well, excuse me, but how does the fuck you sound? Because you don't follow your rules. Uh, you know, even with the lockdown here, the lockdown starts. Guess, uh, I think on day two, the um, the health minister was found driving 20 kilometers to a beach with his family. So, guys, 
you're the guy that just made the freaking rule. We've all got to follow it. And you go and piss off to the beach with your family 20 kilometers when you're not allowed to. It's just like, this is all fucked. <laughs> you know? And that's on a very basic level. That's only COVID. So imagine what they're doing on an international monetary level when they're screwing you out of everything they can screw you out of and spending it on God. Robbie, maybe that's why you're in a small town in New Zealand. And maybe that's why you do the uh, let's call it for want of a better term. The simple job of designing kites and foils and keeping your nose out of it, because maybe that's where you draw the line. Uh, no, I, I don't think it's anything like that. Uh, actually, I wish it was uh, as as meaningful as that. Uh, for sure, running away from it, uh, because, uh, yeah, I do feel it's, it's a defunct scenario and we can see where it's going. There's more and more people. There's less of everything. When there's more and more people, and at the moment, because nobody's talking about overpopulation, global overpopulation, of course, we're looking at getting more and more people. So to control those people, you need more things in place. And suddenly COVID happens to have been a nice little stepping stone to us losing some more rights here in New Zealand. They signed a passed a law just the other day that two days ago that now the police don't need any form of warrant to come into your house. This is COVID, isn't it? Why for COVID did, did that have to get slipped through under the radar? No talk of it to anybody or anything, just boom. Now, I don't really care. There's nothing in my house. The police can come in and rally around. I might find a couple of uh, couple of roaches or whatever, but, you know, I, I'm not going to go down forever for that. <laughs> So tell us, how long have you lived in Raglan? Uh, it's 10 years now. Um, I was just in the process of almost moving to Mauritius because I spend a lot of my time working there. And I just decided that, oh, OK, maybe I'll just do a few years in Mauritius because I can go tropical and I haven't really lived tropical before. So I thought this could be a good opportunity. And then, um, you know, the, the lockdown came along and the whole world has changed. So now I'm just thinking it's probably a good time to make no huge life decisions and we'll just see what happens and we'll play it out right here. Give it another year and uh, then make a decision because I think it's going to take a little bit of time to settle down. Yeah, you also had some pretty interesting thoughts uh, towards what's going on in our world. Would you like to share that with us at this point? Oh, you'll have to remind me which those thoughts were. A little earlier, you were chatting to me about COVID, um, uh, that people recognize the value of time, that people will um, uh, yeah. start to see. Um, not a particularly nice scenario for any. And of course, New Zealand's been very lucky and the, there have been le uh, very few fatal uh, deaths. Uh, fatalities, are they fatalities when it's through a disease? Is it just a fatality? Anyway, yeah. So there's been very few fatalities. It's been fairly easy to get through, so <clears throat> uh, comfortable, we could say. But at the same time, it did give a lot of people, I think, time to reflect and to understand about how long a day is and how much of that day is consumed by work normally and people connecting better with their families and understanding the relevance of the time is your life. We do piss away a lot of time working and maybe we don't actually put enough time into being with the people that mean things to us uh, doing the things that actually you know creatively in far as far as um, creative expression I think there was more creative expression that was became abundant during this time look at this for instance this is a creative expression uh, you've put this together 
you've got lots of people, there's information swap. I mean, this wouldn't have happened without it. So although it's very negative, there are some great positives from it. And of course, it's one of those things that, that if you think of humanity as a muscle, if you never stress the muscle, then there will be no strength gain. So this is, of course, uh, an unfortunate stress, but uh, at the same time, we are gaining from it. And if that's just a better understanding, if that's a little bit more compassion towards thy neighbor as such, because, you know, the streets were friendly. When you met people, everybody was talking a bit more. Everybody was a little, little bit more relaxed. Oh, why was that? Well, because we're not just running on the treadmill. You know, the treadmill's killing us. It's not actually, the treadmill's great for making government rich and a few rich people, but the treadmill for everybody else, it, it kind of sucks. You know, it's just a life-consuming scenario that uh, doesn't really lead you to much satisfaction couldn't agree with you more i really really couldn't i mean that's that's fantastic it's a i think it's a in a way uh, in the back of your mind you are kind of trying to encourage others to to live a life i mean obviously every single one of us does whatever we want to in our lives you know but so many people seem to have a difficulty of breaking that mold and saying fuck it i'm gonna chuck my job and i'm gonna cycle around africa or i'm gonna move to new zealand i mean you're, you're a person who loves to design things you know uh, uh, Money is not your motivating driver in your life. Otherwise, you know, you'd have a huge company with lots of people. You have the ability to do that, Robbie. You love feeding, if I may, your adrenaline, your lunatic um, personality type. We we discussed Lino Earl a little bit earlier, <laughs> uh, a pilot who sobered me up. And he said to me, Steph, look at this weather here in, on Signal Hill. You cannot paraglide today. If we're going to get one or two lucky clients in, let's go kiting. Uh, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time, is what Lino gave yeah. me as a yeah. massive evaluation <laughs> in my life. You want to comment on that? Yeah, well, that, that's basically it, isn't it? It, it sums it up nicely. Uh, it's drifting by. You get to choose how you're going to spend it and what you're going to put the importance on. Finances isn't bottom line for me, but I always I'm, I make sure that I do enough, but it isn't the driving factor of my life. I still, I, I, it's much more important for me to feel fulfilled on virtually every other level before finance. Because I, I know that if I want more, I've just got to put more of myself into it. And I don't want that much, uh, you know, I don't want it that much that I want to put more of my life into it because things like the Isle of Man, meeting the people that I met there, hang gliding, paragliding, that community of people, uh, the experiences, the views, they all mean more to me than money does. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I am speaking from a semi-privileged position because, you know, I have enough. I, I certainly would like to think that I'm not greedy. And I, I sort of um, don't have a greedy philosophy apart from experience, in which case, yes, I'm very greedy for experience. That makes us the same. That makes us want to go out and grab every single bloody great experience. <laughs> if it's new... If it's a foil, if it's a new kind of motorcycle, fuck it. We just want to get on that thing and ride. Uh, um, uh, and you've always been into it. I mean, you've been on the forefront of uh, of hang gliding, paragliding, starting Ozone, which is obviously the biggest paragliding company in the world now. It's uh, you know you, you're still designing the kites. You're still uh, being creative, being passionate, which is one of those words that's really important to bring in here. Um, I asked you a little earlier, so you don't really fly much, do you? Expecting no, I just kite and I ride my motorcycle. But then you corrected me and you told me, no, I still fly a lot. I design speedwings. I had no idea. I go out and take my Zeno when it's a good thermal day. Uh, <laughs> tell us about your flying. <laughs> yes, you know, um, 
yeah, flying is something very special to me, and um, it, it brought me uh, the life that I have. So I, I owe it so much because I was so intensely involved for so long, not for so long, but so intensely involved for the, the period of time that I was involved in it. I really did get a lot of hours and have a lot of experiences and everybody's different. And some people wanted like to do more of it and even polish themselves even further at it to be kind of brilliant and geniuses, but I'm just not that kind of guy. So I got into the other things, but I still love flying and I've had so many hours that I can still just switch it back on like that because it's still in there, you know, it's part of me. So uh, yeah, I love to uh, work on the speed wings. I designed the speed wings with the help of uh, Dave Edwards, Malachi, uh, Kay Palmer in the States, Matt Gerdes at Ozone. And we have a great team and we just work away doing our little job. I fly here in the strong winds and in the, you know, the strong westerlies that come off the ocean and they're, they're pretty gnarly and good, good for testing at the high end. And then Malachi's down in the South Island and he does the testing. I uh, don't know if you've seen Malachi, but the guy, him and Jamie Lee, between the pair of them, they have, you know, they've put some of the most crazy speed flying, dangerous lines down ravines doing loops in the middle. And honestly, it, it even turns my heart. I, I got to see these guys doing it one day and I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, I don't need to hang around here because these guys, <laughs> these guys are on the edge, you know. So <laughs> it was good to see it, but uh, oh my goodness, I couldn't be around it all the time. I'd have my heart in the mouth all the time. Yes, and then there's other days when, when I see the sky, you know, the forecast good. I have a friend here, Rob Gillard. He's very keen on you know cross country flying. When it's really good, he gives me a shout, and we go cross country flying together. And I take my Zeno out. I, I kind of have a little passionate love affair with my Zeno because uh, every time I get on it, I feel like she's sort of my best friend. It, it, it's such a lovely wing for me to fly. The performance is incredible. It's not too edgy. You know, I might not have flown for five months in thermals or whatever. You just get back on that wing and wind it up and it's like, oh my God, let's go, you know. So yeah, I, 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 and I, I plan to do more flying. I, I've got to a very good stage where Motorcycling takes up a lot of time. Now I've put the motorcycles down because uh, they're very expensive as well. And I basically come close to bankrupting myself in the best possible way. And hey, I don't really care. I, I, I could see where it was all going, but I wasn't prepared to stop spending. The shit was too good, man. It's like a good drug addiction. <laughs> Nothing yeah. wrong with a good so, drug addiction. Uh... <laughs> As you reflect on what you said a few minutes ago, I never, ever, ever thought I would hear from you, the great yeah. Bobby Whittle. You were looking at some guys like Malachi and you were saying, no, shit, that's too crazy for me. That's too much on the edge. I can't watch it. No, those are words, those are words I would have expected. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're words from an older man now. The young guy can actually, uh, the old guy can actually. But, but what I like is, and this is what I, I've always liked this, and it's something that I think is so important, is uh, and maybe because I was the young guy who I know the old guys had a, a problem accepting that these younger people, because when they start, the level of piloting that they see is already up here. That's actually the level. Whereas when we started, the level was down here and we progressed with the level as it, as it rose up. Well, when these young guys come in, they see that that's possible. That's now the standard. That's what you do to be standard. So to take it, you gotta be freaking, you know, totally on it. But what I really enjoy is I love seeing younger people or any people 
just with more skill because you know whatever they're doing whether it's riding motorcycles or surf foiling or whatever people with more skill it's just beautiful to watch or, or more balls or whatever you know the guys at the other man who do 130 mile an hour average speed laps I, I only ever managed 117 and i was giving it my all and i mean my all i was not holding back i was I was as balls to the wall as I dare. They're going around on a 1,000cc bike. I was only on a 600, but they're going around on a 1,000cc bike doing 300 kilometers an hour. Uh, absolutely insane. And for me to be able to do what I do and then recognize what they do, it's just, it's next level. You know, the, what don't I have that they have? I don't know what it is, but wow. And so it's, it's nice to be impressed and to to want to nurture that kind of brilliance or to to celebrate that brilliance to you know when you see someone absolutely smash a wave make sure you tell them holy shit man that was amazing you know if i had a camera you'd have been on the front of a magazine why why wouldn't you make them feel good and show them that holy shit yeah i respect that boy (laughs) i know bloody bloody brilliant and it's so true i mean you are 40, uh, sorry, I am 49, you are 51. We are both right that size of that middle mark, if we can call it that. And would you say that your balls have gotten smaller as you've gotten older, Robbie? Um, uh, I'm just trying to think. Not really. I push it pretty hard, but I just recognize there are people with bigger balls. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Well, either way, I can tell you, it just doesn't matter as long as you're absolutely, you know, as long as you're at your limit. Like I say, there are talented people. There are such talented people. And the level's changed. The the equipment's changed. Uh, everything's better. Everything's lighter. Everything, you know, it it, it goes away with you or it, it runs away from you because you weren't born into the standard. You know, it's it's just it's kind of like that. doesn't matter. How hard I trained as a 50-year-old, I, I could never make it to 130 mile an hour plus lap of the Isle of Man. It just wouldn't happen. All the guys that are doing that, they're 20 years younger. I don't actually think it's an age thing. I think it's got to do with where we started it. I mean, you've just gotten into the Isle of Man at, at 45 years old, you know, so that you mentioned. I'd like to turn back time and ask you a couple of questions about your youth. I'd like to ask you what kind of siblings sibling rivalry where did the brain go i am going to go as hard as i can think back for a minute and and and, and clear this up for me <laughs> uh well it's actually a very easy one my mother and father were amazing parents i take my hat off to them because they definitely had a, a difficult child my brother is my best friend uh we got on very well together he supported my um uh, well as my parents did too, you know, uh, but he uh, supported me through my struggling times with, because I, I, I'm very dyslexic, like severely dyslexic, and I couldn't really read till I was 16. So as you can imagine, that puts you in a scenario at school where uh, you're struggling to read exam papers and uh, yeah, you know, it just didn't make the, the whole schooling scenario that good. So there was quite a few problems. When you're basically told for as long as you get told that you're going to be a failure and you're not going to come to anything if you don't, don't try harder, it's like, I'm trying as fucking hard as I can, for Christ's sake. You keep giving me questions that I don't want to even know about or understand or my brain won't compute right now. You know, why are you doing this to me? 
So yes, uh, it, I think the the continued failure made me recognize that anything you can grasp onto for some success is worth grasping onto. And then you realize that, holy shit, actually I can turn everything into that so long as I recognize that if I want it bad enough, I can actually get it. And, you know, just like the other man, what kind of person really comes up at, you know, I think I, I think my first trip there was 45. Um, to get there, I'd only been racing for four years before that, or three years before that. To get there takes such a massive amount of dedication, but because that, that's what I wanted to do, that's what you do. So yeah, I went to school, I went to the superbike school, and I didn't just go once, I think I went six times because I wanted to suck it up, give it to me, give it to me. My goal is to achieve that. For me to do that, these are the steps I must take because my proficiency needs to be at that level minimum to get to do it. If you want something bad enough, if you recognize that you can get out anything that you want, if you want it bad enough, uh, like playing the guitar, you pick up the guitar at the beginning and you're freaking hopeless. You put three years into it, you're pretty much a genius, but you have to put the three years into it. It's the same. Everything's the same. If you want the reward, you've got to put the effort in. Sports and being creative are where my effort goes. And fortunately, it works out well enough for me to live a pretty happy life. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, such valuable little insights here. It's so, so cool to hear. I have uh, done some uh, little bit research of my own while I was at university and when I started to uh, learn about hypnosis and hypnotherapy to kind of uh, do a little analysis between, you might remember Steffi the Clown from the Vertigo days, the guy who had a hard time keeping yeah. the monkey in the pan. You will yeah. remember that. Uh, so yeah. when we met. Yeah, yeah. he was you, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> the little clown show complete master yeah. <laughs> oh god yes and, and um, a lot of uh, homework on uh, people who realize that they have something like dyslexia so we had a man in south africa called tony factor who started a huge chain of furniture stores simply because he was on the back foot when he had dyslexia. And may I ask you this question, Robbie, do you feel that your dyslexia was for you a kind of, maybe not pent up anger, but a kind of pent up frustration or a pent up, um, like a, a hunger for change or success? Would you say that might have rung true with you? Um, yeah, personally, myself, I have absolutely no problem with my dyslexia. I don't care, you know. Um, it doesn't actually make any difference. It's, again, just a preconceived judgment on a person's ability to do something that, in fact, is completely a waste of time because, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, being uh, not that successful in the school system, I don't actually think the schooling system is particularly good because it's great if you're prepared to, you know, or if you can do what they want you to do, but if you don't want to do what, or, or you can't do what they want you to do, then, you know, you, it, it's rubbish. I feel that it just means that I have skills in other areas. And although I'm not very linguistic, I did manage to finally learn German and French to a certain degree. And one thing I always had was a good rapport with people from all over the world, not because I could speak the language, just because actually I think when you lack in some of that educational area, you're much more open in the uh, 
uh, maybe the um, sort of the the feeling and the I don't want to say compassion because part of me is not very compassionate, but another part of me is very compassionate. I was just a bit more free and very in the moment because uh, I was diagnosed as a kid with a very bad short-term memory and an incredibly bad long-term memory. So one of the advantages of having a totally shit memory is that I'm obliged to just be here now. And people tell me things, God, Rob, I remember when you did this and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of, remember it and they're remembering it as if it was one of the most amazing things they ever saw and i'm just like oh really did i do that oh yeah well yeah i probably did because it sounds it sounds like me but i can't actually remember it happening because i don't have that kind of brain but so what you know who cares i don't need that kind of brain to go and ride a wave or a motorcycle or build a paraglider or a, a kite what i need is my artistic inspiration and that that comes from doing the things that i do that brings out the happiness and the joy in me to sit behind the computer and put my heart and soul into something because this is this, this is me. So, yeah, I, I don't know where it, if that stems from being dyslexic or whatever. But uh, again, I just think that everybody's an individual, and my skills happen to be these, and theirs happen to be theirs, and everybody else's happens to be everyone else's. And we don't really need to measure them. We don't need to measure them against each other. We just need to celebrate. The fact that, hey, he's got that. Brilliant. She's got that. Definitely. None of us can be good at everything. We can try to be good at most things, but we will never be able to be good at everything. One guy is a rocket scientist and can develop a, a Microsoft-style uh, software, and another guy can ride a motorcycle extremely fast through a racetrack. And very few are extremely coordinated and talented to do many of them. But as I said, I believe that maybe your dexterity or your amazing ability to be inspired to create great kites and to be great at the sports you've done is maybe coming from you and peer group pressure and a huge flaw. And I agree with you completely in the schooling system, meaning that you have come back so strong saying, fuck it, I am going to be the best person that I can be on a hang glider. Your dad didn't allow you to ride a motorcycle, as you said early. You came back from that and you said, well, now I love riding a motorcycle. And as Jockey and I and yourself agree, there's yeah. very few things that are as much fun as riding a motorcycle on a racetrack. <laughs> it's true it's true yes but the other thing is uh recently uh, last year you know obviously um i've led a fairly exciting life and i've had a lot of injuries and smashed myself up repeatedly and uh broken lots of bones and it all came back and um caught up with me and i did have a crash at the isle of man as well which wasn't my fault but uh got to ended up with the broken back and a smashed up head and smashed foot and everything and anyway this all caught up with me and my back seized up and I went to see an osteopath when I was in Mauritius because I was working there and the osteo sees me for a couple of sessions and then he said to me on the third session he said look Rob I'm sorry but I don't really want you coming anymore because I can't put you right because you're in such a mess that I can adjust you every week and every week you're going to come back with the same thing you need to go and do a six-week stretching course that he showed me on the 
on YouTube which one to do. And he said, come back and see me in six, six weeks. And I started the stretching course. And I don't know how many poor girlfriends that I've had that have been into yoga. And they'd be like, come on, Rob, you should do yoga. And you need to, you do all this sport and you don't do any yoga. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. There's no adrenaline in that. I'm not even wasting my time. See you later. <laughs> I was so flippant with all this stretching and yoga stuff. Now look at me. <laughs> Dawn is about seven, and that's when the surf is calling. And you told me that the prediction <laughs> for the surf is looking so very good tomorrow, Robbie. I'm so excited for you, and I'm so bloody jealous. Exactly. I love kite surfing, anything <laughs> uh, next to paragliding. So we're going to give you a couple last questions, and those are the worst hang glider and paragliders that you've ever owned, and a couple of funny stories that you've got. So uh, fire away. What's the worst hang glider you've ever flown, and why? Uh, I'm just trying to think. Worst hang glider. You know, uh, I was very lucky. Most of my hang gliders were very good, but my my worst one. This was classic. So, uh, being the young guy, we're in the we're in the team in the Owens Valley for the World Championships. In oh god, that would have been something like '95, let's say. On yeah, some somewhere in the '90s. Anyway, so we're at Owens Valley. The gliders all arrived. They've come from Airwave USA, Pacific Airwave. And I think they were magic kisses at that time. And I think there was eight of them on the car roof. And because I didn't want to be the greedy little shit that I normally used to be and probably still am. Anyway, I let everybody choose their glider off the rack. No problem. Everybody takes them off. And there's two left and one's a spare and one's mine. So, you know, because they're all meant to be the same. So I pick this one off and the British team and blah, 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 all the same colors. I pick this one off and I rig it up. And uh, when I'm rigging it up, I notice that there's a big split in the sail. I'm just like, oh, no way. How did that happen? And when they put the cross tube in, somehow they've managed to cut the sail. Anyway, so, all right, well, we'll get that fixed. So now I've got this brand new glider that's got a fix in it. I was like, oh, fucking hell. And I'm super anal. I like my equipment to be fucking top notch so anyway we go flying on these way on these gliders and it's got absolutely the most biggest bitch of a turn you have there's no other glider i've flown like it for having such a bad turn and when you've got a bad turn it's you know it's, it really is terrible because you can't thermal one way and if you thermal the other way it just dives into the turn you know and so you you're absolutely you're doing what is known as called you call high siding it where you just crossed up trying to stop this thing from winding in because it won't even turn the other way because you know anyway so we ended up with cambering all the battens changing the sail tension on that side adding a rock to the tip everything and still the thing was just a bag of shit i flew it through the whole world championships in owens valley of all places which is a place that's totally gnarly even at the best of the times super rough, massive thermals. Uh, if ever there's a place you want a wing that handles absolutely perfectly, it would be there. And I had the worst wing ever. <laughs> it didn't even glide well. It was just like the shitter. Yeah, so I, I had, I think it was a 14-day a competition on that thing in Owens Valley. And it wasn't my best world championships, i got to say. It was... I was so demoralized because I wanted to come out fighting. And I, I used to love rough, con rough conditions. It was my forte. It's like, yeah, when it, the rougher it is and the more everyone's shitting themselves, the more I would be just lapping it up. 
yeah, on this wing, I couldn't fly it. And so I ended up having a crap position and a totally crap competition, really. And if I turn that to paragliding, uh, once upon a time, this was in the early days of Firebird, we made the first cult prototype and we didn't know about sail. Yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 didn't know much about sail shaping, and you add sail shaping to add a certain rigidity to the wing. And this wing had quite a high aspect at the time. You know, nowadays it's nothing, but at the time it had quite a high aspect, uh, one of the highest aspects, and absolutely no shaping. And it was, I think, it was the first prototype. It had just come off the computer. It had just been made in the sail loft in um, Fussen in Bavaria at, at Firebird. It had just been made, and then I had to go to a competition in Chamonix with it, which is another place where it's big air. Anyway, so I take off on this wing, and it, it's like flying some kind of uh, flexi serpent above your head because the whole thing would move uh, in no corresponding way whatsoever. One tip would go backwards, the other tip would fly forwards, it would just be bouncing front to back, one tip uh, collapsing. And I'm there at a comp and, you know, because I used to just be a bit of an animal, uh, I, I flew it anyway. Oh, my God. Every flight, my heart was in my mouth the whole fucking flight. It was just, it was like balancing on top of, um, uh, you know, one of those uh, inflatable balls that you, you know, that, uh, God, were those gym balls and inflate, just stand on that thing and then try and fly a paraglider. It was absolutely intense and collapsing. And listen, uh, again, I had another shitty result, but holy fuck, I survived. <laughs> I'm glad you survived, Robbie. And when you say that you were shitting yourself, you must have really been shitting yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you didn't give the thing back at the end of the day and say, give me any other glider, but not this thing. Oh, no, no, it was classic. Um, literally, I didn't have another glider. We only had that prototype. It was the first one. I didn't take anything else with me because I was such a diehard believer in what I have. You know, and I have always said you should never blame your equipment because you get to choose your equipment. But actually, when you're a test pilot for a company, you don't really get to choose your equipment. But if I was just a competitor, uh, which I never was, I was always involved with a company. But if I was just a competitor, I would just choose the best glider. I don't care who makes it, what it is, what color, uh, anything about it. I just want the best one. But uh, in this scenario, I was always a stalwart for, you know, Rob, this is the glider they made for you. Go out and do your stuff. You know, this is what they pay you for. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. <laughs> pretty nice, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Great story, Robbie. Absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time and the effort to do this podcast with us. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to send it out. And uh, are there any last great messages you have for the universe for everyone out there who paraglides, hang glides, or rides a motorcycle? The only great message that I could have for anybody really is just to uh, keep going, follow your passions, uh, don't lose sight of what you want. And if you try hard, it's probably going to count. In fact, every, one thing that's always good to remember, everything that you see around you is being created by a man's mind. Everything. It opens up a world of opportunities to believe that you can do anything too, because it only happens if you think about it. And everybody's thought or idea turns into a reality if they put enough of themselves into it. So, uh, yeah, 
go out and make your own reality and give it the best you got. True words spoken, my friend. True words spoken. Before the podcast, we were chatting for a little bit and uh, you were saying things like, we get comfortable with everything that we have. You were saying things like, rally the shit out of it. Talking about living our lives. As you were growing up, you were so full on. Listening to you has been an absolute delight. It's been so invaluable to hear all of your great, great insights. And I thank you from the deepest of my heart for sharing this with everybody out there. Oh, thank you very much for asking me. And uh, it's sort of, it's nice to, uh, let's say, in a way, it, for me, it's a little comeback because, you know, I'm very undercover and uh, you did manage to to uncover enough stones to find out which one I was under. Well done. So, but thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I've enjoyed it. And if it brings any form of inspiration or enjoyment or just some laughs or people going, have you heard this dickhead? Well, great. It's been, it's been worth it. <laughs> Well, anything I could find on you was from 2011 or earlier. So I'm um, really happy that after nine years, I found you <laughs> under a stone somewhere in New Zealand that you shared with us. Super <laughs> nice to see you. Maybe one day we enjoy Sweet. a little good time together yes. again. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks very much. I'm waiting for yeah. you in Cape Town for a nice Skype session. Yes, uh, I'll be there one day. You know, I, I'm not quite sure when, but I'll, I'll make it. Mi casa es tu casa, Robbie. See you soon, my friend. Ciao for now. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Beauty.